Hey, podcast listeners, this is Brian Zimmerman, host of Jazz's Backstage Pass. I just want to let you know a little bit about today's episode. It is actually a conversation between Jazz's founder and publisher, Michael Fagan, and the pianist, Pat Coyle. So Pat is a keyboardist, composer, producer, arranger, teacher, and highly respected studio musician. His credits span the musical spectrum of jazz, R&B, pop, country, and gospel. And just to put a few recording credits in front of you, he's played with Natalie Cole, Nancy Wilson, Carmen McRae, Trisha Yearwood, Ernie Watts, Michael McDonald, George Strait, Peter Cetera, Scott Henderson, and Tribal Tech, Barry Manilow, Michael Feinstein, Kenny Rogers, Travis Tritt, Woody Herman. The list goes on and on and on. It's a really great conversation because Michael and Pat are old friends, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. We'll see you next week. Well, glad we got it figured out. So nice to have you here, Pat. Uh, oh, thank you. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I guess this is a little bit of, uh, I guess, inside baseball. But, you know, in the early 80s, when I was freelance writer for a bunch of magazines and and newspaper, uh, uh, their music sections, um, I used to get serviced by a lot of the record companies. It was back in the vinyl days uh, that we both remember very well. Mm -hmm. And um, there was this little label out of uh, California called Paza. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember getting this uh, 12-inch vinyl of this band that I'd never heard of called Recoil. Wow, you you go way far back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and um, you know, what happened at the time, I, I was very interested in the contemporary jazz scene. You know, everything from the Yellow Jackets and David Benoit and Larry Carlton and Dave Grusin and things that were happening back then. And... Um, I listened to this project and I said, oh, this is, this is really interesting. And I've never heard of any, well, there may, there may have been a player or two on, on that album that I had recalled, but didn't know the artist very well and, and wasn't familiar uh, with the, the band had I not been serviced that album uh, as mm-hmm. a reviewer. And, um, and that was my introduction to you. And, and oh, I, thought okay. it, I thought it was kind of clever. I said, oh, oh I get it. The, the leader in the band is, last name is Coyle, <laughs> and the band is Recall. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, but, but that was my introduction to you, and uh, you know, I've followed you ever since. And oh. I really enjoyed uh, seeing your, you know, all the different areas that you've explored. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, you're kind of an explorer. I mean, you know, everyone knows you as a pianist. You know, you compose, you produce, you arrange. You know, you used to teach at uh, North uh, yeah, UNT. And, um, but they may not know your roots uh, back in the kind of the, the early contemporary jazz, which they now call smooth jazz. You were uh-huh. doing those projects uh, before a lot of people <laughs> were doing it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. I was, I, grew up playing jazz and pop music and country music all at the same time just because I'm a gigging, gigging musician and I had was lucky enough to have a band director who was uh, supportive and would hire me for gigs so uh, um, yeah I've, I've, I've just sort of grown up with it all and so I've never really considered myself you know, a pure jazzer or a pure uh, pop musician or a gospel musician or anything like that. You know, I just make a living and I, I like good music. 
Uh, when I was with Woody Herman, he used to say, there's only two kinds of music, good and bad, and I, oh, yeah. I agree with that. Well, actually, I think it was a Duke Ellington quote. But he was That's a Duke Ellington quote, but I know, I, I know you, yeah. you, you played <laughs> in the Woody Herman band. And, and, yeah, and that, yeah. that brings me to, to another interesting thing, that, that very few musicians are, are fortunate enough to do, and that is um, to have such a wide sort of genre uh, experience. In other words, I, you know, for those of you who have not listened to Pat, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I was introduced to Pat through sort of contemporary jazz fusion. Um, but, but the fact that you played with artists like Scott Henderson with Tribal Tech and then mm-hmm. Barry Manilow and <laughs> then Woody Herman, um, these are artists that usually don't include in the same sentence. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I think, a, you know, there's, I'm, of course, I live in Nashville, and when I lived in L.A., it was the same way. You know, good musicians uh, are well-rounded. Most of the ones that make a living are versatile and can, can do almost any style. And uh, the trick is liking the style you're doing, I think, in my opinion. You know, because if you're not enjoying it, I think that people listening can, can get that. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think that, you know, because of his popularity, I think – most people may have heard you, necessarily heard of you, but heard you uh, with this long relationship you've had with Mike McDonald. Yeah, still doing it uh, since 2002. Uh, you know, and of course, there I'm a, I'm a primarily a B3 player, which is a different hat I wear. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, Michael's just probably one of the nicer guys I've ever worked for and pretty humble. Yeah, real gentleman. Uh, yeah, what you see is what you get. He's just oh, yeah. a guy, just a guy who happened to get famous because he's so super talented. And, but he's always been, the, you know, one of the guys in the band. So, uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for that you know, relationship. I'm grateful to still be working with him. He's, uh, you know, it's 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 a lot of fun, and I get to I get to do a whole different kind of uh, accompanying, you know, on on B3 and on synth uh, behind yeah. him as. Uh, Behind him on piano, since he's such you know he's a great piano player. So yeah, I just saw uh, him recently on a uh, David Sanborn sessions. Oh, I saw that too. That's isn't that great? Yeah, yeah, and and you know it's when he starts playing the piano intro to minute by minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you just see you see Michael McDonald doing it in the raw, and it's just on a it, real road. It, yeah. yeah, and it's it's it just chills. You get chills. Uh, oh yeah. Up your spine. If they, he should he should be in the keyboard hall of fame just for that intro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 I I so agree with you. I mean, he, he and I had a conversation a couple of months back, and you know what's in, what I love about Mike McDonald is is uh, despite his immense talent, he is the only person in the world that doesn't think he's as talented as he is. Oh, uh, yeah, believe me. You know, so, he's always asking. He's always asking me, like, what, what's that voicing? Uh, show me, show me. He's yeah. always asking me to show him stuff, and I'm going, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, you show me. <laughs> yeah, like, he, you're, he, you're the one that's selling millions of records and Grammy awards and all that stuff. <laughs> so, so humble. Yeah. So, yeah, so that is. that brings me to. You know, you you have, I guess, chosen. The career has chosen you, or you have chosen the career, to be more of a sidemen or a, or a, a doing gigs mm-hmm. for other pe- large you know you know ensemble popular artists um, sort of instead of 
focusing on Pat Coyle, the solo artist. Would, would, is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I did several records for this label, Sheffield Lab Records. Oh, gosh, one of my favorites. And, and uh, yeah, there was a point when I actually met with a, a, a lawyer agent type of guy and, uh, you know, and was thinking about doing a solo career. And he, and he said, uh, you know, I'd love to take you on. I love your music. And, you know, I just want you to know if you commit to this, it's the full-time thing. It's like you can't do it part-time. It's like you, this is what you do. And at the time, I was had a pretty successful career in L.A. playing on TV film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had a... You know, I'd started off by playing for Carmen McRae when I first moved to L.A. Yeah. And uh, and I and I just had a, a baby, and I I and I was going, okay, this is you know to do this full time. What's this going to be like uh, with family life? And I've already started a you know started a career here in Los Angeles, and so I just chose uh, chose not to. And yeah. Chose to chose the sideman route and I haven't regretted it. I you know, I'm I'm glad to be to be finally doing this again as far as like putting out my own stuff and yeah, it's been a while so uh, Well yeah and we're glad you are too. I, I mean you know I I can say this and I won't name names but um you're a lot better than a lot of contemporary keyboardists that have become popular. Well that's nice of you to say. Thank you. Um <laughs> and, and and so so that's a real um you know that's kind of a, a life decision, uh, which yeah. which you alluded to that uh, putting family first. Uh, no one could ever fault you, and n- nor will you ever have regrets for doing that. No, I certainly don't have any regrets, and 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 they're an inspiration for the music I still do. You know, so yeah, yeah. You know, um, well, speaking of uh, of albums that you uh, have done in the past, um, my favorite album. Uh, that you did, uh, for what it's worth, was the album you did with with Lyle Mays and, and Steve Rodney. Oh yeah, well that that's my favorite too. That was a okay. special a special project. Yeah, and uh, tell me about that. Tell me how that came together because uh, you know it, it's it's clear from from to, at least to me from listening to your music, you're a real fan of sort of that genre, that Pat Metheny group type of a yeah. little more sophisticated, syncopated. Um, you know, just intricate. Uh, you know, I guess more, again, more sophisticated sound. Tell me about how that project came together. How you met Lyle and Steve, and what went okay. into that. Uh, okay. And even though, as many listeners will know, this album was you, you recorded and released it years ago, but it's still one of my favorite contemporary jazz albums. Well, thank you. Uh, and it was uh, on Sheffield Lab, and it was done live to two track too, which was another wow. thing. Yeah, and uh, so it was really a performance, which was one of the nice things about it. Um, I, well, I was Lyle's roommate in college. We shared a house I together. I figured it was it was UNT, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, and you know I was, you know I don't know if you're familiar with UNT, but or as it was known then, North Texas State uh, University. You know, they have the one, the lab band program, and the, and the best lab band, the highest lab band you can get is the one o'clock lab band that meets at one o'clock every day. And I was, you know, I made it to the one o'clock, and I, I can't remember, I was a sophomore or a junior, uh, and and so in comes this genius guy, Lyle Mays, and For sure. I mean, just like you know, of course everybody's just like floored by the you know what 
the genius he was. And and uh, and the only reason he didn't beat me out for the band is that he couldn't read it as well, you know. But then he quickly he quickly learned how to do that and beat me out the next year, <laughs> and uh, or the next semester I should say. And and so, but. You know, I had a choice of like, well, do I compete with this guy or do I learn from him? Because he's obviously like, you know, I recognized even then it was like he's just one of a kind. There's not too many people like this. And so we became really good friends and became roommates. And uh, we were friends, you know, ever since then we've been good friends. And uh, when it came time, when I got a record deal with Sheffield to do several records, uh after I'd done my first one, I uh, was after the second one, actually, I think. Uh, you know, I asked uh, Doug Sachs, who was the guy who whose label it was. Another was legend. Or, right, yeah. Been at the mastering business. Yeah. And uh, I asked him, well, can I, can I, can I get my friend Lyle Mays to produce this? You know, and, uh, and they very graciously agreed. And so I talked to Lyle about it, and he was, and he got all excited, and he got Steve Rodby involved because they were both off, obviously with Matheny's band, and and it was just a a fantastic experience, you know. I, I it was like for me it was like one huge music lesson, uh, you know, to have him producing me, and and I actually I was talking with Steve Rodby the other night. He called up, you know, we were talking about Lyle, of course, who just passed away. Um, and he said, I want you to know that that was one of the happiest times for Lyle, uh, uh, was getting together with you and being able to make music and reconnect that way. And it just meant a whole lot to me. Wow. But that's how, that's how that record came about. Wow, that's great. Well, you know, we, I was, I'm still sad over his passing. He was, oh. I, I talked to him a little over a year ago, we had a the most amazing conversation. Uh, we made it into a podcast, and he said he said something that was so true and yet alarming. And as you know, he never really talked about his illness. No, no, uh, no one knew. I didn't know. Uh, yeah. Steve didn't know until the very end. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and and I I said you know so Lyle are are we gonna are we gonna see another Lyle Mays album? And he said I don't think so. And I said. You know, it seems like you left the music business. He said, "No, the music business left me." Yeah. <laughs> and that was yeah. so deep. Uh, that and, and, that was your interview. Yeah. Okay, I because I listened to that. Yeah. Some you know all the things that have been posted about Lyle lately, and I listened to that. Okay. Yeah, he was uh, just such a beautiful, articulate human being. Oh, he was. Well, I mean, not only was he super intelligent. It, at the genius level, he was, you know, his passion and his, what I call a very spiritual nature of his music was uh, was really what got to me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, mel- the melodicism and, the, you know, the, the passion that he that he had. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things he also said, uh, which, you know, is so true when you when you think about it, it's like we're, we're selfish. We all wanted to, to hear another Lyle Mays album. We right. all wanted to hear another Matheny Mays album. And mm-hmm. the thing that he said, which is so true, he said, you know, I've recorded a, a pretty decent body of music, which I think kind of speaks for itself. And there's enough yes. there. Yes. 
And I thought yes. about that for a second. I said, you know, if you go back, you can, you can take every one of Lyle May's albums and listen to it over and over and over again and never get tired of them. Yes, uh, that's right. And uh, he, he uh, I mean, I, I'm left with being grateful for the music he left. And, of course, I'm sad that he can't make any more, but I'm not sure he would have. I mean, he did do one last recording session, I heard. Uh, with Alex. Yeah, and uh, Bob Shepard called me, and that's when I found out Lyle was passed, and Bob was on the was on the record. Yeah. By the way, and uh, uh, I'll, sorry to interrupt. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my one of my favorite saxophonists, who I believe is, you know, they have this this jazz vernacular kind of artist deserving greater recognition. Mm-hmm. You got to give that to Bob Shepard. Oh, abs- without a doubt. Yeah, he's he's one of my very favorite. Absolutely. Musicians on the planet. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it seems like I get to play with them at least once a year. So. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, they, so while we're talking about that, that album that is my favorite, and, and I'm so excited to hear it's yours, the, the, the Schemes and Dreams, the one you did on mm-hmm. Sheffield, um, there's a song on there. I think it's So You Say. Yes. Which um, is really kind of like a contemporary jazz anthem. I mean, it, 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 maybe, is that what you meant by So You Say? Uh, you know, I mean, I can't remember exactly why we titled it that. It was a, just a catchy phrase, and, and I, you know, it had to do with... Oh, you know what? Uh, it wasn't So You Say. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. Let me interrupt you. It was What It Takes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I like So You Say. It's a little more mellow, but What It Takes, that's the one I was thinking. Actually, th- that one is Lyle's song. It is just... Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, but he, it, it's my, my my twin brother describes it as it's the perfect contemporary jazz song. Well, that's yeah, I've, it's a great song. And we I did two of Lyle's songs on that record, that and Where Are You From Today. Yeah. And um, and on what it takes, we're both playing on it, which was a special moment for me. I noticed uh, he's not on the credits though. Yeah, I know. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, because I, I was like, that really, that really like, sounds like Lyle playing. Yeah. But okay, let me look at the credits. Yeah. No, it says Pat. Yeah, he's playing piano. I'm playing Rhodes. And, uh, so I just, lost a, I just lost a bet, by the way. <laughs> my, my brother Steven said, I don't care if it doesn't say Lyle. That's Lyle on piano. Oh, yeah. It was. It, it <laughs> definitely was. And I, I don't know why it didn't say that in the credits. I, I remember reading that and going, well, yeah, that's a, not good. He got a fred, credit on the front cover, so it's, yeah. it's all good. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it takes a special kind of courage to try to appear in the same space as Lyle Mays, I gotta say. Oh, and then he says the same thing. He <laughs> says it, 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 it takes a special courage to play with Pat. You know, one oh. of the things he said about Pat that I thought was really interesting, he said, you know, Pat had enough confidence in himself to allow me to do what I do. Pat Matheny, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I knew Pat, too, uh, growing up. Uh, we went to the same music camp. We're both from oh. Missouri. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so switching gears just a little bit, um, I was going to ask you about the new album, mm-hmm. and a little on a somber note, a very beautiful song you wrote, and it's called Tears for Parkland, yes. and you probably don't know this, but I live in Parkland. No, I did not, did not yeah. know that. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually live right across the street from uh, MSD. Oh, my gosh. And um, I actually wrote a piece, which has been probably one of the most pieces that I've written that had 
nothing, almost nothing to do with jazz. Uh, and it started out by saying, I live in Parkland, which I think is why it grabbed everyone's attention. I, I wrote it the day after the shooting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, tell me about that song. Tell me, tell me what that's about. Well, I, you know, like you, I was in most of the country. I was so affected by that, you know, and as I am by all the senseless shootings that go on in this country. But that one, for some reason, hit on a level, I guess maybe because I also used to teach high school as well. And, uh, you know, just the senselessness and the, the sadness and the uh, the grief and the outrage that something like that could happen. And so, I, you know, I, I wrote a song about how I felt. And uh, and that's that's what came. I actually I remember I just sat at the piano and uh, you know did the, the, recorded it with an iPhone and and right that I think a couple of days after that I just I posted it you know on Facebook and and uh, got a lot of a lot of really I mean I hate to say good feedback but it was really important feedback. From that and um, and so I decided to include that song and, and then write it for the band as well. You know. Yeah, I think the um, you know what, what listeners may find interesting is is Parkland's a, a very unusual town, and you pro- uh, most people saw it in the in the kids from MSD that came out and were very vocal and and very uh, active uh, in in a movement. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's this little town that's just southwest of Boca Raton, Florida, but it's kind of tucked away into the Everglades. And west of Parkland is essentially nothing. It's it's swampland until you get to the west coast of Florida. And uh-huh. it's this little town that there's really one main road that runs through it. And if you go over 30 miles an hour, you're going to get pulled over. And it's a uh, it's a beautiful town in that it doesn't look like Florida at all. Huh. I mean, it's, there's no palm trees. It's it's you know homes on large properties and and uh, and, and a very quiet community. Uh, there's horse. You'll see horses coming down the main road. People on horseback. Uh, it's more like Connecticut than it is Florida. Huh. And okay. you know one of the things that that I wrote about it was that you know. The thing about Parkland that really I think was the most jarring as far as the um, the tragedy is that, you know, I looked at it when you marginalize and assume our problems are someone else, for someone else to fix, mm-hmm. bad things happen. And, and I wrote, I said, and when you, when you believe it's unthinkable for something like this to take place where you live in your picturesque little town, that's when your town becomes the new word to describe tragedy. Yeah. And the complacency that was what I was talking about is, you, you, know, America, you know, Americans have become pretty complacent. And yeah. it's, it's a time not to be complacent. Don't complain about things. Get involved. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's amazing what we just accept for normal these days. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a, there's a, a, on the lighter side, uh, Parkland is named for its just almost too numerous parks. There are more parks here than I've ever seen. You, you walk down the block, there's a park, and you walk a little more, and there's another park. Uh, and there's even a park, cleverly called Bark, B-A-R-K, B-A-R-K, Barkland, and it's for dogs. 
That's great. So tell so tell uh, me about the rest of the album. I, I, I listened to it. it. I enjoyed it. It sounds like uh, a little bit like the best of Pat Coyle because I hear a lot a little from a lot of things that you do. Um, okay. And it just it just it sat sat really well with me. I, you know when I hear a contemporary jazz album from someone who's been putting out contemporary jazz albums as long as you have. You know, there's there's always this. Okay, is this going to be kind of more of the same? Well, like Matheny even says, you know, some artists just kind of have one song and one style, and they do it really well, and they do different variations of that. But while you hear that on this album, you hear some new musicians, some that I haven't heard of, mm-hmm. and it's 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 fresh. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Uh, it it was just. Uh, you know, I had done a couple, uh, since the Sheffield Lab Records, I had done a couple of my own records. One was a jazz trio record called True North, and the other one was a jazz sextet record um, called Birdhouse. Yeah, yeah, I and, checked those out. And, yeah. and actually, more, more, I should say, less contemporary or more traditional, or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yeah, I would say they're both. Yeah, which is a nice change. Yeah, and I enjoy doing that, too. I mean, I, one of my favorite things to do is play jazz piano trio and I'm actually have a trio together now with a great young bassist here uh, in in Nashville named Jake Jezero and uh, and Danny Gottlieb the drummer yeah Danny's wonderful and uh, and but I enjoy I enjoy that just as much as I enjoy this and uh, you know I, I felt like I wanted to return a little bit to the the music I used to do for you know like that album with Lyle and uh, just concentrate on that a little bit more, and and that's most of these songs uh, kind of grow out of that idea. And I, you know, I never stop writing. I am always writing. It's just something I have to do. And you know, I most of it will never get recorded and will probably never be performed. But you know, uh, occasionally, out of uh, 20 songs, I, I write one that I actually like that I feel like I could play in front of people. And so that's what this record is. That's great. Well, the um, tell me about some of the musicians on the album that I may not have heard of. Like the, uh, I know Jeff Coffin, uh-huh. um, uh, and uh, but for instance, while I know him, I never heard of uh, Jim White. Yeah, Jim. Jim's a drummer that used. I mean, all these are, all these guys are uh, Nashville guys or used to live in Nashville, uh, and I've been here since '94. Moved. Here from LA, and uh, Nashville is just—you know—everybody thinks of country music, obviously, but it's because it attracts good musicians. There's musicians of every genre here, and a lot of the country players are great jazz players. Um, uh, so yeah, Jeff, uh, obviously known for his work with Bella Fleck and his own records, uh, Dave Matthews, and. And then Mark Douthat's the other sax player on this record. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's a sax player that plays with me on Michael McDonald's band. And one of my favorite melodic players of all time. And I think he also works a lot with Larry Carlton. And, um, you know, all these guys work with a whole bunch of people. The, the guitar players, uh, Steve Kowalczyk's a great jazz guitarist from Nashville. Uh, he teaches at University of uh, Northern Colorado. As does Jim White, the drummer. You're talking about Jim White. He uh-huh. he teaches he teaches at the University of Northern Colorado, and but 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 plays on a lot of a lot of jazz records. Yeah, I mean, I, I 
I just I probably have heard him before, but I yeah. noticed him on your album. Yeah, and uh, he's he's just a musical drummer that I like to play with, you know, and, yeah. and he's versatile and plays a lot of different styles. Uh, guitar players, uh, Pat Bergeson is a Nashville guy uh, via Chicago. I mean, everybody that lives here is usually from somewhere else, kind of like L.A. Um, and Pat's got that combination of things I love in a guitar player, uh, just the... Uh, a great, a great jazz background. Yet he's got all the pop and R and B influences mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, and then there's Steve, like I mentioned. And then on bass, uh, we got three bass players on the record. Todd Parks is a bass player here in town. Um, uh, John Estes is another bass player, and, and Brian Allen, who who does Brian work with? He's on the road with somebody. Um, I'm blanking on it. Uh, uh, and then on the drums there's another well there's Danny Gottlieb and Marcus Finney and Danny lives here and Mar- Marcus does too so it's uh, basically all the Nashville guys yeah and, and I didn't know Danny Danny moved to, to Nashville yeah his uh, his wife uh, his, his wife's parents live here and so they made the move and I think he still teaches in, at uh, University of North Florida. I think. Right, he flies there every week. And, wow. And then he flies, he flies back. You know. Wow. But you know, I love, I love the fact that he lives here because you know he's been one of my favorite drummers oh, yeah. for a long, long time. And yeah. nice guy. So. Oh yeah, wonderful guy, very talented. So, so let me um, let's do this. Let's run through, if you don't mind. Sure. Let's run through some of the tracks. The opening track. Now the tracks that I got, well, I don't know if they're the the, the the sequence of the album is Lost and Found the first track on the new record. Uh, yes, it is. Okay, yeah. and t- tell me about that. Uh, well, that that title comes from, um, you know, I feel like it. Well, for me personally, here's what it means: is that uh, I get so involved with working for other people and, and doing their music and trying to trying to fit into what they want, you know, that sometimes I for a long time I lost what I was what I got into music to do in the first place, which was to to write and play my own stuff. Mm-hmm. And so this album is kind of a little bit about that and that mm-hmm. song is definitely about that, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of losing your purpose but then finding it again, I think. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's uh, uh, that's interesting. So almost the theme for the album. The uh, yeah. How about who's Ellie? Ellie's uh, my my granddaughter, and she's uh-huh. six years old, and uh, I love her, and she's got me wrapped around her finger, and <laughs> course, she's just got all this all this wonderful energy, and and uh, I always my nickname for her is Ellie Bell. So there you go, Ellie Bell. Oh, Ellie's Bell. How about Travis? Who's Travis? Travis uh, was my son-in-law, and we lost him about a year ago, a little over a year ago, unexpectedly to an illness, and uh, it was a big, big blow to the family, so, you know, I dedicated the whole record to him. Wow. Wow. Um, Wow. Well, uh, and, and, and November song. Why November? Oh, that's probably the least meaningful title on here. Uh, you wrote? Did you write it in November? I, I, I wrote it in November, and I just put it on there so I could tell this, so 
so I could find it again and just never took it off and sounded like a good title. Yeah, because you, you know, know when you write when you when you write titles for instrumental songs, it's it's a whole different whole well, different it, ball. Sometimes. And that's why that's why I like to ask about them because you know the you know uh, affixing a a title to an instrumental tune, uh, like you just alluded to, sometimes they have a lot of meaning and sometimes no meaning right. at all. It's sort of like right. I, I need to come up with a title for this song. Let's call it uh, Movement Number One. Yeah, it's just like what's the first thing I read or see? Oh, that's it. That's the title. That's it. Uh, uh, three till midnight was uh, was about. Uh, you know the doomsday clock, uh-huh. and uh, you know it's like I guess there's a, some sort of scientific way of saying how close we are to doomsday, and they always say it's four to midnight, seven to midnight, five to midnight, and so that's my uh, that's my dark side coming out there. Oh, okay, all right, so here it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's let's run through the rest one one to one. Okay, that's uh, in. Uh, Today's show is a contentious political climate. I mm-hmm. think it's um, we're not talking to each other one to one, and we're we're screaming at each other anonymously. And I think that we, if we're going to come together and survive as a as a country, that needs to stop. And we need to start just actually communicating in a civilized way. Yeah, so that's what that is. Yeah. Okay. Well, continuing that theme now and then. Um, you know, another catchy cliche. And, 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 and the same is the same is here and back again. Well, here and back again. Uh, actually, I wrote that when I was when I was teaching at University of North Texas, and it was having gone to school there. It was strange to be there again, teaching in the same rooms that I took lessons in and eating in the cafeterias of the dorms that I stayed in. <laughs> so I was like going, well, I'm here and back again. I was here and now I'm back again. And uh, now that I've moved back to Nashville from there, so that's still appropriate. So I was like, there, I should, maybe I should have called it there, here, and back again. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. Oh, well, to round things out, we can't leave Papa's New Groove out. That would be the last track that, uh, that we yeah, have. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's another you know, I've, I've reached that age where it seems like a lot of the songs I write are for my grandkids. So that's a, I'm Papa to my grandkids, and and that's just kind of an upbeat track that that uh, I wrote for them. Oh wow, yeah, we we, you know, so are you like a lot of grandfathers? I'm not a grandfather yet. I'm old enough to be a grandfather, <laughs> um, but um, are you like a lot of grandfathers that have? a different outlook for your grandkids, not necessarily outlook, but uh, because of where you are in life right now, the way you deal with your grandkids is different than the way you dealt with your kids. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it is kind of a cliche, but you do spoil them. And, uh, uh, uh you know, it's, I, I'm fortunate that I see my grandkids all live around very close with at least within a day's drive. And uh, so I, I feel you know it's really grateful to be part of their lives actually you know instead of having to only see them on Christmas or something like that. Uh, so so yeah it's uh, it's different than than your own kids obviously, mm-hmm. uh, but it's different in a great way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. You know, 
one of the things I did notice in, in your discography is that you did several albums that I call theme albums. They're, mm-hmm. you, know, you pick a theme and you say, okay, I'm going to go with this track, you know, certain, pick certain songs, uh, a lot of times songs you didn't write, but um, that you thought fit the theme. And, um, and, and tell me about the, the decision to do that. Cause, and I'll tell you, give you a little backdrop in my experience with that. Um, I, I think themes really resonate with people. Mm-hmm. I think they, you know, what I've seen in, in my career, and that this is from a magazine publisher and editor to a record label guy, that I had a record label back in, in the 90s. And we would do theme albums that would outsell that artist doing the theme albums, solo albums, by a multiple. Huh. And, and like, for example, um, my partner was someone who you know very well, Lee Rittenauer. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Lee actually came up with the idea of doing these albums called A Twist. A Twist of Jobim, A Twist of Marley, A Twist of Motown. Right. Um and we do a twist of Joe Beam album and sell a half a million units. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the, the, you know, Lee would scratch his head and say, you know, I couldn't sell a half a million units today. Right. Under Lee Rittenauer. Right. But in essence, it's a Lee Rittenauer album without Lee Rittenauer on the cover. Yeah. So tell yeah. me about your experience with that. Well, which particular record were you looking at? I looked at, I'll tell you the ones I, I, I went through, which were all very interesting. Um, well, there was one called Love. Oh, okay. A bunch of love songs, uh, yeah. some very, very popular songs. Yeah. Uh, he did one, uh, Lennon and McCartney, uh, called Yesterday, mm-hmm. for those listening. And um, what I was really interested in, in listening to is the one for Barry Manilow. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because I ended up playing on some, actually, music directing for him for a TV special and then playing on a couple of his records. But uh, he, uh, those records that you just named, and there's a bunch more, uh, I did, I was contracted to do for what they call boutique labels uh-huh. uh, here in Nashville. One of them I still record for called Green Hills Music and uh, or Green Hills Records. And... Uh, and they do those themes, you know, they say, well, we want you to do a record of Beatles songs, you know, we want you to do a record of this or that, or all Barry Manilow ballads, solo piano, and, uh, and you know, I I enjoy doing it, but it's also comes under the, under the cat- uh, heading of making a living, you know. Right, right, right. So, uh, anytime I get to make music and enjoy doing it and get paid for it, that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that in my book. Yeah. You know, I, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not the uh, like the artist that someone like Lyle or Pat Metini is, but you know, I am a working musician who enjoys playing, and every now and then I get to do something creative. Yeah, and 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 I have seen the success of those type of albums uh, again because you know it. You know, one of the things that was really interesting to me as I started you know, jazz is back in the early 80s was that in the, especially in the beginning as we talked about your, your, your first contemporary fusion album Recoil you know, there, there was the critics, jazz writers whatever you want to call them there was sort of a, a, 
I don't know, a, a, almost a contentious uh, attitude towards that type of music back then, which is really ex- quite accepted now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of that had to do with the fact that they thought that if you had an album like that uh, and you sold 100,000 records, that you were kind of a sellout. Yeah. And, and I looked at it as, you know, you know the, a lot of the music that we love that, and the artists that we know and if you compare them to other less popular jazz artists, um, they're still relatively unknown. Oh, yeah. So, so, you know, when someone used to say, oh, yeah, you know, someone like David Benoit, he's real commercial, contemporary, sellout, whatever. And, and of course, I, not only did I not believe that, but I said, you know, in the, in the real world, the big world that we live in, people mm-hmm. don't know the difference. They wouldn't know Dave David Benoit from David S. Ware, which is one of the right. most eclectic avant-garde artists. Right. And True. and it's like it's all relatively obscure for yeah. musicians that are doing their art and 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 trying to make a living. Yeah, that's uh, that's really the, uh, you're right, exactly right. Um, yeah. Hey, I I uh, I got that was one of the things as a teacher that I tried to impress upon students is being versatile and like, hey, you know. What, what percentage of us are actually going to make a living playing exactly what we want? And uh, and the answer is not, you know, a minuscule part of one yeah. percent. And and you have to, to you know, well, there's nothing wrong with being a musician and enjoying what you do, but like trying to think in terms of being versatile enough to be able to make a living yeah. and be viable, you know, and be able to do studio work and be able to play salsa music and be able to play a, a polka, whatever it is. You know? <laughs> and, and to be so, good enough, where yeah. someone like Michael McDonald would say, I want that guy in my band. Yeah, and you know, it's, I, I live in Nashville, and, and you know, the, the sometimes the simplest of songs, you know, that maybe only have three or four chords, you know, when it's done by an artist, Another guy I've gotten to work for over the years is Vince Gill. When it's done by Vince Gill and the way it's done and the way it's produced, and you know, it's like there's nothing better than that. It's just a different, a different, uh, you know, it's just a different palette. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pat, it was good to finally talk. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. You know, I think uh, you were, you've been with you started jazz is. I started jazz is when I was uh, a youngster. You know, you, did, you know, you did an article on me a long time ago. I, I know that. I, oh, okay. Because I, yeah. I, <laughs> I wrote it. <laughs> okay. That was you. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I still love that article. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah it's been uh, uh, 35 years, uh, and uh, I still love doing it. Yeah. That's um, great. That's fantastic. And uh, we hope to hear a lot more from you as well. And, uh Hopefully, I'll, if you're still touring with Michael, maybe the next time you come down the southeast, yeah, try, try to catch one of those shows because I've I've not seen Michael live in in sure, well, in he decades. still he still sounds wonderful and and hey, this this year we got the year off because he's doing a reunion tour with the Doobie Brothers, but wow. uh, there's there's talk of a Christmas tour so and we usually get down that way you know so uh, I will let you know. I stay, please stay in touch. You have my contact information. If not, I'll uh, make sure you get it, and, uh, and don't be a stranger. Okay. 
Thank All right, you. Be Mark. well. Okay. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye.